Hi, and welcome to Green Planet Blue Planet podcast, highlighting artists, teachers, authors, and philanthropists of the regenerative movement, people who are committed to and showcase qualities of planetary leadership. My name is Julian Guderlei. I'm committed to a world that allows people from all walks of life to thrive. I'm your host and creator of the Green Planet Blue Planet podcast. And in today's episode, my guest is Denny Kennedy. Denny leads the California Clean Energy Fund, connecting entrepreneurs everywhere to capital to build an abundant clean energy economy that benefits all. He is also the president of CalCharge, a public-private partnership with the National Labs and Universities of California, unions and companies working to advance energy storage. Denny also co-founded Sungevity, the company that created remote solar design and powerhouse Solar's premier incubator and accelerator. He's also the author of a book called Rooftop Revolution, How Solar Power Can Save Our Economy and Our Planet. And so I'm really excited for this conversation. Denny, you've also worked with Greenpeace and other climate change and climate energy um, you know, initiatives. So welcome to this episode, Denny Kennedy. Thank you, Julian. It's good to be here. Yeah. Um, maybe maybe let's let's begin with your passion for this topic. Like what happened in your life that you just, you know, got really clear. I want to focus my energy into, you know, building regenerative or, or solar based initiatives and actually support everyone else out there who's doing that. Uh, it's it's a long winding road to get to New Energy Nexus, which is the new name for the California Clean Energy Fund that I run today. But you know, honestly, I started as a teenager here in Australia, which is rising. Uh, the sun is rising over behind me in this window. Um, uh, working as an activist in forest campaigns in the 1980s. Um, this is a long time ago when we used to wood chip beautiful ancient forests here in Australia for toilet paper to sell to Japan, you know, like wow. crazy extractive industries that we took as, you know, business as usual in the 20th century and took a whole lot of brave people to sort of say, no, ya basta, stop, stop, that's silly. And uh, I was involved in those social movements, did that for sort of 20 years um, and, and really became involved in atmospheric science and politics in the 90s uh, around the ozone issue and then climate change um, in 92 at the Earth Summit in Rio, actually, um, and kind of cut my teeth as a more professional activist after school um, with Greenpeace, as you mentioned. Uh, but I think, you know, the big issue of our times being climate destabilization, the climate emergency we're in, we've sort of turned a corner as a social movement around the turn of the century. Um, where we agreed broadly that we had a problem. I mean, I know some idiots like the guys in the White House and in Brasilia may not agree, but most people do. I mean, the current guy in the White House does, I guess, but for the last four years, we've had a denier in there. But the world knows we have weird weather and we've done something wrong and we have to change our ways. And so for the last 15 years, I've been very devoted to what we need next, not what we're against. And the best way to create that I found is building small businesses and making them larger. And so I've had the luck and privilege to start a few successful solar companies. And then I got into the business of helping other people start solar and other clean energy companies. And that's what we do at New Energy Nexus. We run accelerators, incubators, and funds all around the world to support entrepreneurs 
driving innovation, building equity, by which we don't just mean shareholder value, but economic opportunity for all so that we can have a clean energy transition. Yeah, that's exciting. I want to hear a few of those stories and success stories that you've already created. And, um, you know, I, I like I like what you said there, creating the world we want to see and the world we believe in much rather than fighting against anything that is, you know, so in line with, with this podcast, with this mission, with um, the famous Bucky Fuller quote of creating a world that works for everyone by, you know, creating a system that makes the old one obsolete. And I think you, you also mentioned it, like the great pollution. I, I like calling it the great pollution because it's undeniably here. You know, you walk on the beach anywhere in the world, there's, there's plastic, you, you scan the waters, there's, there's human garbage, most likely also plastic. And we, depending on where you are in the world, we're participating in it still uh, passively and actively because it's sometimes even hard to find alternative uh, products or ways of consuming energy, et cetera, depending on where you are. So there's just so much work still to do. And um, I think it's important to move away from blaming and shaming and pointing fingers into just really making space for the solutions. Absolutely. So, yeah, yeah, maybe you can take us on a bit of a tour or a bit of a journey here to some of the solutions that, you know, came through New Energy Nexus. Yeah, happy to do that, you know, and, and have hundreds is the good news. You know, we literally backed 200 companies last year in 10 countries from China to India, Indonesia, the Philippines, Vietnam, Thailand, the US. We're active in California and New York, Uganda, you name it. We've sort of got affiliates in, in 30 countries that are running different ecosystem support organizations, we call them. Um, but just to, you know, come back to your point about the solutions piece, there's a there's a trajectory in social movements where you know when the power holders are doing dumb things and the citizenry are fighting them there is a stage where you need the rebel and and you know the activists saying no bad you know that's what i did as a kid you know tying onto trees to stop them getting cut down then you need reformers and policy people to sort of create the market settings and the rules and the social uh, norms that move us towards new behaviors and that sort of results in majority public opinion coming round to the better way of doing something and not the yeah. bad old business as usual but then when once you've proven that there's a problem and proven that the old guard the, the establishment don't have your back you've got to prove that there's an answer and if you don't if you get stuck in the sort of problem stage it becomes very grinding and dispiriting and i think we were there with climate for the last decade or so you know like solar seemed small you know plastic seemed impenetrable you're right wherever you go you're still actively and passively engaged in this problem but the amazing thing right now is this upswing that's happening you know we do know there are solutions the electric vehicle phenomenon is happening it's undeniable vw gm ford you name them the the oems of the 20th century are just like capitulating in the matter of days and weeks you know they were suing the government in of california a year ago to allow them to just spit their soot out their tailpipes as much as they wanted and now they just announced you know 22 billion dollars 44 billion dollars you know we're just changing our entire business model from the infernal combustion engine to electric mobility shared intelligent etc you know the the changes are on us this decade is going to be a wild ride we have you know more 
disruption happening in the electricity system than has happened for a century in the last couple of years. I mean, crazy stats that I could bore you with. And obviously the mobility revolution is, is another example. So, you know, just to say for you and the audience, like I do feel great hope right now that this um, mm -hmm. decisive decade on the climate crisis is also a period of rapid change and, and we might just do what's needed. To answer your question though, <laughs> You wanted some examples. I mean, um, well, I'm just curious because I know you. You know, you had your your connectivity and projects in Kenya, in the Philippines, and other places around the world. So it's just always the most exciting, as you said, when we turn away from the doom and gloom that we've been stuck in for a long while into the the hopes and the projects on the ground. I think right. that's where, when we make those stories our stories, that's when the human story suddenly, you know, becomes a big field of possibility. Absolutely. So, you know, uh, just rolling around the world, if you want, um, you know, we've got a, a solar company in the Philippines that, you know, the, the young leader of who's still young, 28 today, but he walked into my office nearly 10 years ago. Now, I think when I was running a solar company in the States, he'd actually read the book that you mentioned at, at the intro, which I think came out in 2013. So it was eight years ago. And dropped out of university at Yale to go home to the Philippines to start a solar company. And that solar company today has hundreds of megawatts under operation gigawatts in its pipeline, literally a um, thousand uh, employees. Um, and he's producing the lowest cost power in the country of the Philippines. And, you know, it's one of the reasons that the Philippines late last year announced a moratorium on new coal being built in the country um, because The, the government's just sort of accepted the economics, which is that that would be a more expensive proposition to furnish their population with electricity than doing it with clean energy. He's also, that's, a, that's sort of addressing Manila, which is the mega city in the Philippines that has 20 million population or something. There's also, uh, you know, rural and, and island grids that are mostly diesel powered across the Philippines. They produce really shitty, expensive electricity, like, six hour power they call it and it's it's high cost again solar plus storage replacements for those microgrids on those islands much more efficient can be built much faster can be maintained much more stable because you're not dependent on a diesel supply chain all that stuff and he's demonstrated that you know just the impact of one powerful entrepreneur um and the company called solar philippines has, has been enormous in that market and that country um You know, uh, we've got uh, in um, the Indonesian market right now, uh, we're doing a, launching an online training course for, Philipp uh, for solar entrepreneurs like Solar Philippines, but to happen and grow up in Indonesia because Indonesia has almost no solar market. I mean, you know, this is a, a country of 300 million people. They're, you know, very... Um, low in terms of energy consumption per capita. They're going to grow enormously. It's a very dynamic economy. It's fast growing. They're young. They have aspirations like all of us. They're going to electrify mobility because that makes sense. It's cheaper, better, faster. Um, that growth in electricity demand currently, the government plans to meet with coal and diesel on this huge 7,000 island country. Mm. But it would make a lot more sense given they're sitting in the tropics to do it with solar. Uh, And there's just no industry to speak of. So our Indonesia program, if you go to the New Energy Nexus website, you can sort of go through and sign up yourself for a Bahasa Indonesian school to learn how to start a solar company. You know, because 
nowadays, 20 years into the solar phenomenon, the rooftop revolution, as I once called it, you, you can kind of get an open solar account on the web, a freemium software um, to build a business, make a sale, secure the kit, install the system, design it without even going to the site in the first instance, and, and basically run out this vision of power to the people uh, very simply. So again, I could keep going. If you want to go around the, the world to Uganda, we have incredible Let's um, do one more, yeah. <laughs> work uh, training um, mostly women entrepreneurs, mostly in what are called community-based organizations in, in Uganda to build businesses selling basically four products, better cook stoves because they're very, you know, damaging cook cooking processes there. We can make them more efficient, use less wood, produce less pollution, um, solar lamps and solar home systems, just sort of like small hundred watt, 30 watt panels wired up to, um, you know, a phone charger and three light bulbs say, and then um, an energy efficient water filter because instead of boiling water to make it drinkable, you can use water filters. Um, so we sell those four products through these micro enterprises, which we train entrepreneurs to build and run in the village. These are people living on two and three dollars a day. You know, these are non-electrified yeah. places, uh, and we finance or microfinance their inventory. So we make it possible for them to sell their products, um, and then um, get uh the the uh, community to pay them on loans and, and various other financing programs we've built over a hundred companies there mostly led by women they've touched like tens of thousands seventy thousand people in the last five years uh and they're building margin generating positive enterprises in their communities again the enterprise value is very small from an economic point of view but the impact is enormous and, and right the impact is enormous and then if you you know compare that to the whatever the earning of these people was before um, a solar enterprise kind of came into their life, it actually is maybe not a tremendous impact from a you know European or North American perspective, but it still is a very very meaningful impact. And I think this is something that when we use the word climate change, we often forget to address the huge social inequality on the planet that is kind of just perpetuating this this current status quo, right? And so when we address um, that at the root and what i really hear through the stories you just shared if it's the philippines if it's indonesia if it's uganda there is this potential for many countries and many people to leapfrog straight through all the learnings and the mistakes we've done in um in the western countries 100 uh, in fact our sort of shorthand for our vision which is one i'm sure we share you know a world where everyone has what they need and in the shortest time possible to prevent climate change. We, we say 100% for the 100%, 100% clean energy for 100% of the population in the shortest time possible. And, and, you know, the great thing about clean energy is it really, it has this emancipatory potential, not to sound too sort of highfalutin here, but fossil fuels were death from beginning to end. You know, they're a system of yep. extraction and pollution and devastation from start to finish. The opposite is true. We, we can literally, you know, rather than concentrating wealth and power, both figurative and literal, in the hands of the few people that can capitalize the mine or the oil rig and then burn it in a concentrated way and send it down a one-way pipe, we can make everyone the owner of the productive asset. We can democratize the control of those assets through the distributed nature of them. 
I mean, we can is a key word, whether we will or not, or whether we'll centralize control and power right. over these things is still to be seen. But this is a, a beautiful technology set to, to sound a little bit ridiculous because it, it can indeed give everyone their superpower. The fact that we all live in the sun and make our way in the world because of it through photosynthesis and now photovoltaics give us the power to have what we need in the 21st century, which is electricity. You know, it's what runs our lives. Which and is also a great way, not to, not to jump in there, Danny, but that's yeah. also a great way to just understand life in, in general. Like we're in, in quite the miraculous cosmic constellation to have life on this planet in the first place. And so the sun is photosynthesis, now photovoltaic. It's it's our, you know, source for for this yeah. for this life. And so anything else, um, I think if we, if we look back on this society 200 years out, 500 years out, we'll shake our heads about the time we just emer- are just emerging from for right. so many reasons. Crazy 200-year binge of just destroying assets and, and not you know, living off the income of sunlight that comes to the earth. Just to tell you, the, the, com- the company that I first started when I left the sort of activist career I had was called Sungevity, as you mentioned. And that's a made-up word, you know, like so many sun-named companies. Um, Sungevity is now the, the biggest solar company in the Netherlands and doing very well. It was acquired by Angie in Europe after... Um, a couple of years after I left it, but um, Sungevity, we we came up with that idea for the length of period for which the sun exists. You know, like there, there's there's perpetuity in in our concepts of time and epochs of history and eternity, I guess. But within that, there's this subset during which life is possible or life as we know it because the only life as we know is sitting on this earth and around this planet, basically. And when that sun burns up, which it will do in 10 to the 5 billion years or however long away it is, this earth gets consumed by that event and that's over. And, and so we call that period of time longevity, and that's what we want to work on, you know, and, and to this day, I think most of the people that worked there with me, you know, over the years are, are committed to that sort of long haul, yeah, I get I get the picture, and I think it's a beautiful picture that we we live in symbiosis with the sun, in you know this life giving kind of um, yeah infinite way, um, and and in, infinite maybe in yeah that would start us into a very spiritual and philosophical conversation. But uh, I want to get back to some of the pragmatic learnings and on the entrepreneurial mm-hmm. front because you know often when we look at something um, as a society, we have this idea that is this the silver bullet that will solve all the problems? And obviously that silver bullet doesn't exist, right? We as a species have to, to learn to grow, build resilience and understand our mistakes and then clean up our mistakes and do better the next day. And so what do you think will it take for humanity to create this skill, this ability to learn from past mistakes and to admit that? And how can that maybe relate to many of these entrepreneurial journeys that you've helped to catalyze? Yeah, you know, I think the habit of mind of an entrepreneur is actually sort of some of what you're talking about. I mean, entrepreneur, it's a funny word, isn't it? But um, the, the, the person who's willing to not take no for an answer and go and make their own abundance is sort of what I'm talking about when I say entrepreneur. It may be driven by a, a, a profit motive or a, a, that mechanism, at least, that incentive system. But it may also be driven by, you know, compassion and care for a community like these social enterprises in Uganda we just talked about. Um, And 
you know, what's going to make humanity better, smarter uh, next go round and next centuries and millennia, uh, you know, that, that fail fast, fail forward sort of habit, you know, the, the iteration and experimentation, you know, not becoming complacent, you know, fossil fuels made us fat and dumb. You know, we, we thought we had sort of found this way to do work and substitute labor with motive force and engines and stuff but we did it at our peril for a couple hundred years here. And, and we never sort of updated the machine, you know, we didn't do the yeah. upgrades. And so if we come out of this going, we're not going to go there again, we're going to continually optimize and improve and optimize for real things, not just money, but you know, people's health, planet health, um, social benefit, uh, education, those things, then that could be a, a wonderful learning journey that we could be on and and you know another thought for you just in terms of things we're learning that i think portend possible lessons for the future is is sort of an ecosystem value around um risk and redundancy and the fact that we need to try many things to your point there's not a silver bullet technologically i mean you know we've been going over 15 years now We've seen some unicorns. I mean, we were actually invested in Tesla around the time Esla, uh, sorry, Elon joined the team there, you know, mm -hmm. the, the, the South African immigrant that is now known for it. But, you know, he wasn't in the founding crew and, and was an angel investor. We were backing them about then. We sold out and they went public. Um, so we've seen like a very disruptive big company emerge and, and have huge impacts for the best really in terms of what they've challenged the other car makers to do and what they've done for energy storage by demonstrating it. Um, but my point was actually, you can't rely on that. You know, that's not the strategy. When, when we talk about a country like Indonesia, 300 million people growing from a thousand kilowatt hours per annum per capita consumption of electricity to five or 10, like we enjoy in, america you know that that's not gonna um be done by one company or two companies or 10 companies it's going to be done by hundreds of companies or hundreds of enterprises and, and efforts and ventures and part of that is because most of them fail as in ecology you know things don't take you know plants fall over the forest is a series of of mulching and growing and trying and, and some doing and lasting. Um, and that's what we're trying to build, not to wax too lyrical about this, but our goal at New Energy Nexus is 100,000 startups because we think over this decade, that's just the tip of the iceberg in terms of yep. what's needed, but also only tens of thousands of those will survive and thrive. 50,000 or more will fail just because companies are hard to do. You know, it's, it's hard to make that work. Yeah, that's that's an exciting vision to you know support a hundred thousand companies in this very focused and this very um, kind of aligned way um, to see if they can build the traction that it needs to provide people with prosperity and provide people with energy. I'm really interested around the skill of resilience that will emerge from all of these uh, successes and failures, because as a culture, you know, you just mentioned it when we look at us in terms of, um, you know, this extraction and, and kind of fossil fuel based society is the peak of our dominance over nature. It's the peak of us becoming like obese and lazy and um, kind of the peak of our expression as a bully in, in, in this natural environment. And so, 
we know for many facts now that it can continue like this. And as a species, we have to learn to reharmonize with nature, right? And as we're doing that, the skill of resilience, you mentioned the forest, like life itself is, it's, it's not all like a fairy tale. Like there's a lot of uh, cycles and cycles and, and birth and death and decay and, 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 and all of that is part of it. Um, so I'm, I'm curious to hear some more of your thoughts there around just this, this zeitgeist of these 2020s that is kind of a necessity because we've, we're literally with our back against the wall at this point. And uh, I've never been a fan of doom and gloom. This is why I started the podcast is to bring out more of the, like the projects and the hope that can be in people. What are some of those qualities of the zeitgeist we're living in from your perspective? Yeah, I'm like you, I think a sort of strategic optimist, you know, uh, and, and intentionally so. Um, and I think to answer your question, to, the, the opportunity here is to come out of the 20s doing what we need done and, and having a very different sort of civilizational approach to planetary existence, in my view. I mean, the, the big shift is from this extractive from soup to nuts kind of way of thinking about the world. This is just a big mine and quarry to take stuff from and then, you know, dump on, even though it's a finite spaceship Earth that we're alone on and, and don't have options for, no matter what Elon says about Mars, we're not doing that. We need to terraform the planet we got kind of thing. So, um, and just to throw something in there, we're also not alone on it. I know humans like to see themselves at the center, but all the life that's here, all the animals that are here, the intelligences and the flora and fauna is... I think that's that's part of what we're just at the brink of understanding. At least I um, can see that in my own life yeah. and in my own circles. Is we're just understanding how intelligent this planet really is. Yeah, I just read this wonderful novel. I don't know if you read it, the the Overstory about trees. Not yet. No, I'm, I'm reading a tree book as well, though, called the uh, the Hidden um, Lives, the Secret Lives of Trees. Secret Life of Trees. Yeah, yeah. So the related. Overstory. Interesting. Yeah, it's a novel, but it's fantastic. Um, about that very fact that our science is only just starting to get some perception and, and some wisdom about these things. But um, to the zeitgeist, you know, my thing is we're on the cusp of a kind of circular economy potentially for humans mm. going forward. You know, like if we can, if we can thread this needle, which is not easy, you know, just to be real, we've got to be, you know, honest about our hope, but we, we drive these solutions to the scale they need to happen at the pace they need to happen. And we come out the other side and we're running our societies, whatever they look like then in a changing planet on silicon and lithium is kind of the scenario. These are two materials that are the kind of core of the photovoltaic product set, which is gonna be 90 plus percent of the generating resource of electricity over the century. Like without being too doctrinaire about it, I just think that's the fate. And finally the International Energy Agency came around to that view last year saying, Solar is going to be the king of electricity. Um, and then the lithium story is the, the critical element because of its energy exchange and, and lightweight in energy storage, which facilitates all the renewables. The good news is those things don't get used up when we use them in photovoltaics or in batteries. They are a, a, what's called a, a stock, not a flow. You know, fossil fuels mm. flow through the economy. You kind of dig up coal, you burn it, you aspirate the thing into the atmosphere and it's one and done. Lithium, you can put into a battery, use for a decade or more, 
and then recycle fully and it's as useful as it was the day it was taken out of the ground. And so just a couple of decades hence, we're in a position where we could have enough lithium and silicon on the surface without having to continue to dig holes and extract more and put through more. And with a circular approach economically by valuing those products and building the businesses to take them on for second life and then recycling and so forth, we could actually use them on and on and on in many generations and many times over. And so, you know, our children's children's children could be using the stuff that you drive around on next year in your electric vehicle. That's mm. my point. Rather than having just burnt it and stuck it in the sky. That's a really big difference that I think we're not really fully conscious of, but makes us more at one with the, the home and potentially able to fit within the ecosystem. Does that make sense? It makes total sense. It's also an interesting kind of zeitgeist connection to a question I usually ask at the end, which is around our you know multi-generational perspective. And so I think that's what's emerging in this current uh, way of looking at the world is that we're really only here to prepare the world for our ancestors. And so if we use up everything and pollute everything that at some point, and this is pretty much our generation now, there won't be too much left, right? And um, yeah, it's fascinating to have that picture in, the, in our mind that maybe that electric car, that electric vehicle we're driving in uh, now can be recycled in a way that future generations can use it. It sparked a follow-up question in me, which is about the big picture of trash. And maybe, well, I think everyone at this point has an emotional kind of connection to trash that can, you know, that's just devastating to a certain degree. But from an economic perspective, is there any, um, you know, pers perspective that, that we can look at trash and, and renew our perspective onto trash? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't want to sound Pollyannish about it, but I, I think, you know, thinking of it as a, as a resource rather than some waste stream, you know, that nature abhors waste, right? You know, it's all going to get put back into the system somehow by the mycelium or whatever. And, and so, you know, just a very pragmatic example, there's a big, you know, hype right now about battery companies. We've been doing batteries, like incubating battery companies in California since 2012. As I mentioned, we were early in Tesla, you know, we've, we've got six companies right now in a Cal seed portfolio that, are you know energy uh, storage uh, diagnostics for battery stacks, second life deployments and applications for batteries taken out of EVs, all these sorts of business models that will emerge around you know the massive build out, and then we're also promoting the, the domestic battery manufacturing supply chain in the U.S. Um, but you know the the big limiting factors are these raw materials that go into them like cobalt, you know, a lot of people are conscious and, and rightly so that there's child labor in every battery and every cell phone you've ever owned, because some of that cobalt probably came out of the Congo and some of that was probably dug up by artisanal miners, they call them in the Congo, but kids being sent down holes in the ground, you know? And, and so we're trying to make cobalt free chemistries in batteries. We have a company in our third derivative portfolio that does that out of Texas. We have a, another one in California we're trying to promote called Spark Z. Cobalt free is, is one answer, but it's probably five or 10 years out. In the meantime, 
um, can we recycle all those cell phones that you once had and all your laptops and, and mine the waste stream and get cobalt? The answer is yes, we can. In fact, the waste streams of Europe, Japan, China, and the United States have enough cobalt to basically put back into the system and meet the needs of sort of the growth of batteries because we're getting, even if we're not going cobalt free, we're getting more efficient with it in the battery chemistries. And so we can spread what we've already got into the future production, at least for a little period here and make it last. So, you know, absolutely. We can, we can use waste as a resource um, and get smart about these materials, which are finite and, and can't be treated as we did fossil fuels. Uh, in that extractive sense that we had. Thank you for that. Like it's a super, you know, in-depth uh, response to this question because I feel like you have a lot of knowledge around this that most people don't have. And what what's interesting about all of these topics is yes, there is a perspective where this sounds, you said Pollyanna-ish, you know, where it's like, oh, we're all just too optimistic. But really we're coming back to what we talked about uh, 10, 15 minutes ago, where we're addressing that the core of our action, the principle is life is at the center. How does life do it? How, how does mother nature do it? How does our constellation in this uh, solar system, um, you know, how, how does that come to be? And so when we look at the fundamental principles of life, you mentioned the mycelium, this, this, this regenerative way is, is nothing we're inventing. It's something we're starting to harmonize with. And so of course our massive um, kind of trail of trash, um, well, let's, let's better hope it's going to be useful at some point. And, and so I think, you know, especially when it comes to podcasting and talking about it, um, there is a big educational component to be done where anyone listening to this won't forget that, that they just heard this and, you know, that we just had this conversation. And so it's, it's important to understand that all of the actions that we normalize now, just like, you know, through coronavirus, a lot of the, the old normals are not the new normals. And, you know, we can dis discuss this in, in another conversation, but there are so many new new normals to make about how we consume how we look at trash how we um, interact with the environment and just to give you an example like everywhere in the world you go people have a different stance on it but usually people stop with pointing their finger at this is right or this is wrong but what do you actually do when you're in a country like i'm in brazil right now having this conversation with you where you walk down the beach and you see someone throwing out trash in just in front of you and you're like wow this person is, you know, quite metaphorically speaking, it's my brother or my sister. If I just, as the stranger, as the white guy, just walk up to that person like, hey, like, what are you doing? I, I don't think I'm going to do anything good. I mean, if I pick up the trash, that's like the tiniest baby step I, I can make. But the educational component is huge. And the component to understand that this ecosystem is a closed loop. Everything that's in here is going to stay in here. There is no out there, right? I think mm. this is a massive... Um, understanding that that hasn't penetrated the masses at this point yet yeah but to go back to your point earlier about what we can learn in the sort of industry of innovation and i don't want to use the industry more the ecology of innovation mm. you know like we we're trying to build that habit that mental muscle um of learning and keeping everything in the closed loop and and being conscious of that finite system thinking you know, I mean, back to our core business supporting startups, we often, I think I used the phrase before, we call ourselves ecosystem support organizations. So, you know, like in India, 
teamed up with this big mob of folk called the Climate Collective that run accelerators and incubators and funds and all sorts of stuff like us for all sorts of climate related solutions. And the, the energy tracks, the accelerators, the particular specific solutions for electric mobility and utility transformation in India, which is a mess because of the coal-fired power sector they've got. You know, that's what we do there. But it's this whole bigger milieu, you know, it's the, it's the ecosystem. Um, and we're, we're trying to emulate those things. I mean, uh, another less Western or not Western, but less scientistic sort of word than mycelium that we fall back on sometimes is we, we say we have a value of living Ubuntu, which is a, a West African philosophy mm -hmm. we learned from, an, you know, indigenous cultures. You know, this is no surprise. Folk that live closer to the, the earth know this innately, um, that, that we're all connected, that everything is responsible for everything else and and you are because i am and we are because they are sort of thing and that's a, a practice we try to bring to our craft of supporting startups you know connecting a a shanghainese uh you know digital fintech entrepreneur who's building a better blockchain solution for you know managing microgrids with someone in New York, who's trying to implement microgrid solutions in, you know, public housing in Manhattan or the boroughs is stuff we'll do because we can learn to your point. And, and the, the, the information, the education is one of the nutrients in the system that the mycelium brings from one to the next and, and transmits underground. Um, that's what we've got to do, if you know what I mean. Yeah, I, I understand what you're saying. I think this is fascinating. Is, um, you know, it often comes up in this podcast and in the core belief, uh, in, in my experience on this planet, uh, that the indigenous wisdom and the, the ancient sacred knowledge that is, you know, barely just still alive on this planet, but, but that, that is a huge contribution to, um, us and our modern ways harmonizing with nature once again. And when I say harmonizing with nature, again, it's not, it's not like a, a Pollyanna-ish kind of uh, idea of, of like, we'll all sit around the fire and sing Kumbaya because we are a very modern society. We already made that step and that, that choice, right? We've, we've gone through uh, this threshold as well. Now we have to clean up some of these things and going forward, create a world that, um, as we said a few times, like allows life for every participant. Um, yeah. maybe not in equal ways as in everyone has the same that always triggers people, but in ways that, that truly allow everybody to participate. hundred percent again. <laughs> and, and, you know, to your point about the indigenous wisdom, I, I feel like, you know, the great crime of fossil fuels over the 20th century was how it targeted indigenous communities and sort of burned the books of wisdom that those places contained. Um, and, and, you know, that was the, 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 bonfire of the vanity plus futility of that sector you know i mean there was this weird happenstance that coal and oil and gas often resided beneath the feet of communities that were not the you know the powerful uh, colonial interests in places and and those communities were destroyed uh, proactively through various systems of repression and and blatant you know violence yeah. I, I did a lot of human rights work in the nineties in Nigeria and Colombia and native America and elsewhere. And that was their 
mojo there and their mo that was the, the system um fossil fuels targeted and divided and conquered communities to extract stuff i mean the the hope you know right now is quite strong i mean you might have seen this struggle that trump tried to give one last push to that's been going on for 40 50 years in indigenous communities in america in alaska the arctic refuge which you know drilling rights have been much contested mm -hmm. for decades by the community up there and by environmentalists and others and trump opened it up for drilling the amazing thing is there were barely any bids for the arctic refuge mm -hmm. access because the oil and gas industry is on its knees you know like mm -hmm you try and borrow money to go drill a new well in the Arctic refuge in 2021 and you're paying 50% on the dollar, like as an interest rate, mm -hmm. you try and build a solar project in America or, you know, build a, an EV factory. The rent on the money is going to be single digit, you know, because that's just a better asset, a safer bet. You know, even the capital markets have priced this change in. That's the big difference. You know, we're not, we're not fighting against this thing as hard. They're dying anyway. ExxonMobil's out of the top 10 forever. It'll never mm -hmm. be back. You know, incumbents don't make the change. Um, and all these insurgents, these little entrepreneurial ventures that, you know, you and I had never heard of two years ago and are now spacking onto stocks and, and Wall Street yeah. are, are going to be the giants of, of the near future and displace all of those there's challenges with all that in the political economy sense and, and they have to do right by their workers and this generation, but it's a very different proposition to that violent system of the fossil fuel economy of the last century. It's, it's really great to hear you speak about that, Denny, because there's a, a you really, you're well versed in the economic and political way of addressing these problems. Because when we just feel with our heart and we're connected to nature, these things are absolutely obvious. But then also, because we live in the society that we've built, we have to amend from what's there. We can't, we can't just entirely wish it away. That, that, would, be, that would just not, not be grounded in reality. And so this has been the work of the last 20, 30 years of activism and then smart entrepreneurial action. And so I'm so glad to have you on for this conversation in this episode. I have one more question. I know there could be like a dozen more questions, um, but this one is, is um, quite a bit more for the dreamer in, inside of you. And so, um, you know, given a seven generational context of, of roughly 200, 210 years or something like that, what's your dream for this planet, for our species, for, for what we're doing on this green and blue planet? You know, if you go back 200 years, you know, when we became addicted to fossil fuels, you know, that, that's as far as we went into the woods, as the alcoholic anonymous saying is, you know, we, as far as you go in, you have to walk out, basically. So it's going to be another 200 years to free ourselves fully of the, the addiction and all of its impacts. Um, so we'll be undoing the damage of that mistake of the Industrial Revolution for a couple of centuries here. We will live in a society, like I said, powered by sunlight and driving on sunshine um, through the miracle of technology with lithium and, and silicon-based systems and hopefully fully recycling that in this sort of circular economy that we discussed. But also, you know, doing so much more. I, I hope that it's a true green planet, blue planet. You know, we're rewilding the world. We're, we're 
acknowledging the true values of nature and, and, and the carbon sinking that will be required to reduce the impacts of climate change. I mean, there's no going back from climate change, but there will be attempting to mitigate it by sinking carbon, not through so many machines as trees and yeah. soils and um, carbon sinks. I think that'll be a big project for decades and, and hundreds of years, potentially over that 200 year timeline you asked about. Um, we will be, you know, an urban community, mostly that humans seem to prefer cities. We'll be living in mega cities in tens and hundreds of millions, perhaps. So making livable, walkable, meaningful existences out of that reality from the design phase now, when you pick the place, you know, and build a city that lasts a millennium to actually filling it out during time, that'll be a fascinating part of the work that we'll do as a society. I think it's, you know, prospectively good. You know, my kids, 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 or whoever the ones we're talking about down the line will we'll regret what, you know, our generation and the one before us let happen, but we'll be grateful for what our generation and the one after us made happen, um, which was this great transition that's happening this decade and, and beyond. And uh, we'll make the most of it. I'm confident of that. You know, it's, it's not mm -hmm. the end of the world we're contemplating here. It's a world without end. It's really the condition that that world will be in and what we leave for our children is, is this very important question. So glad you asked it and I'm glad that that's part of the conversation here on your podcast. Yeah. Thank you, Danny, for this answer. And thank you for, you know, walking us through a few examples of the work that New Energy Nexus is doing. And, you know, we, had, we touched on a few different, really, really deep topics. And I'm sure we could, we could dive a lot deeper. Also, thanks for giving us, um, you know, uh, um, a reading, um, and how, how you say that, like a suggestion, the overstory, I'm going to put it into the show notes as well. Thank you so much for being on the show and, um, yeah, all, all the best with new energy nexus. I'm sure there's lots of conversations to follow even just between the two of us. Thank you. Good to be on and look forward to being in touch. That's a wrap. Thanks for listening. Here we are again. This is your host, Julian, and I hope you truly enjoyed this episode of Green Planet, Blue Planet podcast. Check out my Patreon, best way to support the podcast, myself and the mission. Lots of exciting perks and ways to be engaged to receive more value. That being said, thank you so much for listening. Don't forget to hit subscribe, review the show, share it with the people you love, and have yourself a stellar day. Thank you.